This is recording number 11078 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, November 24, 2013. This is the second message in a series titled, The Characters of Christmas. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Mary. Overshadowed by the Spirit. chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to continue a study that we started last week called The Characters of Christmas. And uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, this, this is the earliest I have ever begun a series of Christmas messages um, in my 30 years as a pastor because, uh, well, I mean, I, I usually don't, um, began until after Thanksgiving because I'm just sort of old, old school that way. And, and uh, it bugs me a little bit that, we, that Thanksgiving kind of gets lost in the holiday shuffle and uh, we end up celebrating um, Halloween and then Christmas, right? Some of us celebrate Halloween. That's another story altogether. Anyway, <clears throat> we've begun early because there's some things that I, wanna, I felt like the Lord wanted us to talk about and look at. And we weren't going to have enough time between Thanksgiving and Christmas to get it done. So we started early, and I begged your pardon last week, and I'm assuming that I still have it uh, for starting early. Wow, that was a lot said that was sort of meaningless, right? <laughs> anyway, um, what I've sensed the Lord speaking to me about this season for our church was that we were to look at the, the characters in the narrative the Bible narrative about the birth of Christ and learn the things that not only are there for us theologically and doctrinally profound and significant, but also the things that are there for us to gain by their examples for what the Lord wants to do in our lives. And so that's the point, not just to uh, revisit a, this, this remarkable and wonderful uh, but oft-told story but to see with fresh eyes what the Lord would like to speak to us. And that's the challenge. When you come to a passage of Scripture or a, or a set of Scriptures that are familiar and, and um, oft quoted and, you know, that you, you tend to bring to it your previous experiences with it. So it's, it's, if you're not careful, when you come to a passage of Scripture that you've heard or read or, or have been taught uh, multiple times, you stop hearing new things because you, pl- you bring to it what you've already learned. What I want to ask you to do as we make our way through these very uh, iconic uh, stories and narratives that we come with fresh eyes and say, Lord, start over. Teach me afresh. Show me what you want me to see here this time, for now and for m- in my life. And so today we're going to be talking about Mary. Last week we talked about Elizabeth and how God brings life to barren places. Today we're going to be looking at Mary, starting in chapter 1 of, verse, of uh, Luke, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. In the sixth month there, by the way, that's being talked about is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. I'll try to say that fast several times. <laughs> Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And I want to read that verse again because this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. And having come in, so the angel arrives in some place. I don't know if it's her home or whatever, but he comes in. And he says to her these things. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you. Now, verse 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You know, typically when an angel, when you see a, 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 a visitation of an angelic being in the scripture, almost always the first words out of the angel's mouth are, Don't be afraid. Because, because you would be, you know. But in this case, this uh, um, uh, command or this you know, invitation to not be afraid comes following this verse 28 where I want us to, to uh, focus in on today because uh, the things that I believe, the things that he said there uh, trump the... the uh, they're more important than alleviating Mary's fears. He needed to get that said. But then he does alleviate her fears. He says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, that's Israel, forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be? Since I don't know a man, since I do not know a man, she said, Since I'm a virgin, how can this be? How can I bring forth a son? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. That word overshadowed, as you might expect, means to cast shade upon. But it also means, by, by analogy, to envelop in a haze of brilliancy. Figuratively, it means to invest with preternatural or extraordinary influence. There's something that this overshadowing of the Holy Spirit is going to impart to her. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your neighbor, or excuse me, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, or look upon the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then we're told that she goes to visit Elizabeth. And when she arrives and the two of them greet, uh, Mary sings a song. And I'm going to read just the first verse of that song. It begins in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. 
For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Pay, pay attention to that. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him. Now the Mary story is theological, okay? There's no, no doubt about that and we're thankful for it because it describes the virgin birth. If we don't have the virgin birth, we don't have a gospel. So it's important for that reason. It's also important because it helps us to understand the incarnation, which means God becoming flesh. How many of you have ever heard the word incarnation before? How many of you know what it means? I just told you what it means. <laughs> My, uh, this past week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I got to take care of or babysit my grandson. He's five years old. He lives in San Jose. Uh, his mom and sister were away for, for a few days, and so his dad would uh, get him ready and take him to school in the morning. I'd pick him up in the afternoon, and then we'd spend the day together until his dad would come home from work in the evening. And um, one of those days, I think it was Monday, the first day, I was talking about something, and I said, I said something along the lines of, I think, or I imagine, or I suppose. And he says to me, he's in the, he's in the back seat in his, his uh, car seat. He says, oh, Papa, that's a hypothesis. <laughs> I said, what? You, you know that word? Oh, yeah. I said, do you know what it means? He says, yeah. That's an idea you can test. <laughs> I, was, I was like blown away. And then I'm like, yes. <laughs> Whoa. So, so anyway, incarnation mean God, means God becoming flesh. Incarnate, God becoming flesh. If, if God does not become flesh, we have no gospel. So these things are really important about the Mary narrative here, uh, you know, theologically and doctrinally. But her story is not just theology. It's very, very personal as well as all scripture is. You look, it's, this is not a book of theology. I mean, it has theology in it. But if that's all it were, just about studying God, which, you know, sadly, there are a lot of people that seem to me anyway to approach the Bible as though that's all it was. But it's not. It's very, very personal as well. So this, and not only that, not only personal, but a model. And it's instructive. It's, it's for us. And, and the Bible even says of itself, these things were given as a model for, the, for us who come after. So we're supposed to gain from, from the scripture and our study of it stuff that applies to us. So this is not just about Mary and her story. This is about us too. The Bible is always that way. It's not just history, not just philosophy, not just theology, not just doctrine. It's for us. Because Mary is not the only one through whom God is made flesh. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about a truth that applies to every single one of us. The, any of you who have come to faith in Christ and become his child by that faith, God's child, you are someone through whom God wants to become flesh. Not in the same way as Mary, you know, we're all going to get pregnant and give birth to a, a son. But in a very real way, God intends for you and me to be people through whom his life, his love, his grace, his power, his wisdom, his mercy is birthed into this world and into the circumstances we find ourselves in and the circles of influence that we have. He wants to incarnate the gospel through us. And so Mary's story is very instructive to us and particularly, in my opinion, verse 28, where the angel says to her four things. And I, let's just spend some time on these before I let you go today. First of all, he says to her, rejoice. Rejoice. You know, every, every pregnancy is a surprise. Everyone. Sometimes not a happy surprise. And in this case, at first glance, I imagine that Mary was not so sure that this was going to be happy news. That the news that was going to follow this initial uh, Come, uh, this initial word from the angel, rejoice. The words that were going to follow that, the, the story about how you're going to give birth to a son and, and all that might not have been the happiest news to hear. When you're a young virgin and you can imagine what people are going to think and all of this stuff and how it's going to change your life and you don't, there's no, no track record to follow and it's all just way beyond you, I imagine that it was quite helpful for her to hear from the angel, this is happy news. Rejoice. Because that's what that means, that word rejoice. It means, as you would expect, be well, be cheerful, be glad. Listen, when God makes unexpected visits to you to announce that he's about to seed you with something that he wants to give birth to in this world. Sometimes that announcement can be a little unnerving. Perhaps even a little scary. And I think the Lord wants for you to know that it's good news. Now you don't need to be afraid. That his implanting something of his purposes and designs and desires in you is a good thing. We showed those photographs earlier of the team of folks that went out to Vacaville yesterday to, uh, to distribute food and so on. And we all rejoiced in that. But, you know, no one more than Riley, no one more than me, even though I wasn't able to go, my heart soared with gratitude because I, that was the birthing of something that the Lord had seeded in my heart 
about two years ago, as I, as the, as I knew the Lord wanted to bring, to bring our congregation to the point where we began to reach the material needs of people in our county. Riley, for Riley, long before that. Uh, an imagining that, that the Lord put in his heart of how uh, the ways the Lord wanted to use him and particularly involving um, street people and homeless and all of that. And so when God arrives at your door, whether there's an a actual angel standing there or not, when God arrives at your door and announces his intentions to impregnate you with something of his designs and purposes, don't be afraid. Rejoice. Something really, really good is on its way. Then he says to her, highly favored one. Rejoice, highly favored one. That word favored in the original language is karito'o. And it's related to karis, grace. Um, and when we think of the word grace, most often uh, we think of the definition unmerited favor. I didn't earn this from God. I didn't earn his favor. I didn't earn his saving grace, but I am the recipient of, the recipient of it. I will be forever with him in heaven. My sins forgiven. Okay, that's... And, and that's a wonderful, wonderful and appropriate definition of the word grace. In this form and in this context, it means something just a little bit different. Because it's not just about what I've received, but it's about what, how, how what I have received changes me. What it makes of me. Um, the angel says to her, graced are you. Mary. And in that he's saying he's, he's using this definition of grace which, which is uh, also of an extremely appropriate especially in this case where it says grace is the divine influence on the heart and its reflection in the life. So it's not just about what we receive it's about what Having received grace, how it changes us and how it, how it um, affects our lives. Having been touched by this grace, he's saying, graced are you, Mary. Now, I've never been pregnant. I probably never will be. Uh, but I know this from having observed someone very close to me who has been pregnant three times, four times. Pregnancy... Changes you. It stretches you in ways that you can't comprehend. And I'm also told by this person who's very close to me that it changes you and changes your body forever. When the Lord shows up in your life, overshadowing you by his spirit, depositing into you a seed that's going to develop and become his life incarnate. It's going to change you. But that's a good thing. <laughs> I want to be changed. I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. I don't want to be 
what I was when he found me. I want the grace that I've received to make me different. And that's what he's saying to her. Graced are you, Mary. And then he says to her, the Lord is with you. This is important because in between con conception and birth, there are two things that are where the sense of the Lord's presence can be tried and tested. So there's what follows conception is gestation. A long period where a lot of stuff's going on that nobody sees. And when the Lord arrives in your life by his spirit and overshadows you implanting something of his purposes in you that's going to develop and then eventually be born, be incarnate in this world, there's going to be a period where he's doing a lot of stuff that's not, it's kind of quiet, but oh, so significant. In that quiet period when not a lot of scene, you can tend to feel a little isolated, a little alone, kind of second-guessing yourself. Did you really say that to me? Is it, did you really mean that you're going to do this? You know, there's questioning. The potential for, for a lot of temptation to, to withdraw your confidence in the Lord can happen in that period of time. And so the angel says to Mary, the Lord is with you. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to remind ourselves, no, you know, the Lord is with me. So there's conception, gestation, birthing is over here. And then there's this other thing <laughs> called labor. Again, never having experienced this myself, only going secondhand, I can understand this is not an easy thing. That birthing something requires a pain. <laughs> Few of us sign up for pain, right? Sign me up. I want more of that. No, we don't usually do that. And so, but let me tell you, the enemy will always, Satan will always challenge the, the bringing forth of that which God has been gestating in someone's life. He wants to shut it off. He wants to contain it. He wants to diminish it. And so there is... This, this aspect of, of incarnation that is pressing through. And it requires difficulty. It requires, uh, you know, unpleasantness in some ways. And every single person who has ever been part of that process that I'm describing of God overshadowing you by his spirit seeding you with something of his life that begins to develop that he wants to bring forth into this world you will encounter that pain that labor part of it but then he says to her blessed are you blissfully happy is what that means I don't know how it happens because, you know, I've been in the labor room and, you know, moments before birth, it's like, don't you touch me again, you know? 
And then there's this baby there in his hole. Sign me up. Let's go for it. Right? right? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure how that, how that happens, but there's something euphoric about seeing life come to, to be. And there isn't anything, there's, there's nothing like being used by God in that way. To know that you were part of this amazing incarnation of something of his purposes in this world. It's like nothing else. Nothing. Blissfully happy are you, Mary. Now, I know that probably in, in your Bible there, some of the translations that you have do not include in verse 28 that phrase, blessed are you among women. Now, the reasons why that is, is uh, not worth telling. Um, I, I, don't, it's, I don't want to make an issue of it, but I want you to know that it is scriptural. How we know that is Mary's song, beginning in verse 46, where she says, All generations will call me blessed. And that's what the Lord wants for you. He wants for you to experience the blessing. He could, he could do this all himself. But he wants for you to know the blessing of being involved in that process. I could give you a lot of illustrations, but I'm just going to close with this one. I think most of you know, uh, and, and, and again, I could tell story after story based on just those of you that are sitting here. You know, one of the, one of the reasons why I do what I do is because I get to watch God work in people's lives. It's, it's phenomenally rewarding. So I'm just randomly selecting this one story. But it has to do because I know that most of you would know uh, Aldrin and Kareen Kerrigan. When, we first met, when Sue and I first met them um, and understood that they didn't have any children and had not been able to have children of their own, Sue and I began to pray for them about that because it was a desire of their heart. Um, and, and that circumstance didn't change, still hasn't changed, although I continue to still pray for them about that. But what did change was about two years ago, I remember Aldrin came to me and he didn't know how to describe it in the terms that I have today. But what he was describing me was, uh, to me was that overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Seeding something into his soul. He said, I, you know what? I've, I feel like the Lord wants me to, in the same way that I would focus on my own children, to impart something of God's life into my nieces and my nephews and the other young men and women that are in the circle of my influence. And I'm going to give myself to that. And Corrine was right along with them in an agreement with that. And that's what they've done in a very concerted way over the last two years. And the fruit is remarkable. That seeding of that thing in their, in their heart of an expectation of something God would give birth to, it went through a period of gestation. It even went through a period of labor, struggle, and, and pressing through. And yet, the incarnation of that, spectacular. 
I mean, this is an overstatement. Please don't give me... I, I know better than this. But it seems like for the last two or three times we've had water baptisms, every one of them is one of his nieces and nephews. Right? Now listen, I believe with all my heart that the only, that, not, not the only, that's not right. I believe with all my heart that one of the reasons this plays out the way it does on the pages of the New Testament and in the biblical record is for your sake and mine. Because Jesus wants to overshadow you with his spirit and seed you, impregnate you with something he intends to develop and bring to fruit in this world, bring to birth, to flesh out in this world. And you, some of you, you know what I'm talking about because you've had this experience. Perhaps you've been in a gestation period where there wasn't much to be seen and you lost heart. The Lord is with you, the angel said. Don't lose heart. Don't give up on that. Perhaps you reached the, the labor stage and it just, you know, you couldn't press through. Well, there's nothing to be ashamed of about that. But don't let it, don't let the enemy block the birthing of that which God has seated in you. The Lord is with you. 